Joe Dreyfus. He, as I said, he undertook a master's at Utrecht University. His thesis was whether or not volunteering can help you get a job. He's an all-round decent kind of guy and I'd like to welcome him to the stage. Um, hot tip, I'm not the professor. Tonight, can you hear me? Tonight I'm going to tell a story about algorithms, love and kidneys. I'm going to try and demonstrate that economics has been and continues to be applied in ways that many might not intuitively expect. And I'll do this by telling you a little about the work of Alvin Roth, an economist primarily concerned with problems related to matching markets. Solutions to problems in matching markets typically don't involve money. This is what makes them especially interesting. They show that economics can be applied to solve problems beyond inflation targets and macroeconomic stabilization. Matching is economics jargon used to describe one process of how we get the many things that we can't choose. Getting a job, for example. If my ideal employer was Google, I couldn't just turn up and start working for them. Equally, Google can't just choose who their employees are going to be. Both sides of this market need to choose each other before a match or an exchange is made. So matching markets are different to most. In most markets, the seller doesn't care who the buyer is and vice versa. eBay is not a matching market. As a seller, I don't care who buys my product as long as they pay the price. As a buyer, I don't care who I'm buying from as long as the product meets my requirements. In most markets, the price mechanism takes the effort out of matching. Getting a job is different. An employer may think that by raising wages, they will attract better employees, but they might only get applicants who are interested in making money, and these might not be the people who are most motivated to do the job well. Alternatively, an employee might be better off on a lower wage, but doing something they truly love. Wages or prices alone can't account for these preferences. One of the functions of many markets is to match one kind of agent with another. So in the example I've just described, workers and employees, and, and employers, uh, students and universities, men and women in marriage. Um, a matching market is two-sided if there are two sets of agents and if an agent from one side of the market can only be matched with an agent from the other side. One final bit of jargon theory, stability in matching markets. A matching can only be regarded as stable if it leaves no pair of agents on opposite sides of the market who were not matched together but would like to be. All right, so the plan for the time I've got remaining. Um, I've already given you some basic theory on matching markets. Um, it's a bit unorthodox to go for the theory first before I've told you what my plan is, but I figure in a jazz cafe <laughs> anything goes. Um, I'll tell you a bit about Alvin Roth, um, and then I'll tell you a bit about um, some of the practical applications um, of problems in matching markets that he is responsible for, particularly with respect to marriage residencies in medical schools, if I've got time, um, and kidney exchanges. But before we move on to marriage, a little bit more about Alvin Roth. 
He was awarded the Economic Sciences Prize in memory of Alfred Nobel in 2012. He grew up in Queens, where he entered the Science Honours Program at Columbia University before finishing high school. His master's was in operations research, which was where many good mathematicians ended up in the 80s. Game theory, which deals with situations where your best decision depends partly on the decisions of others, was what he ended up interested in. So how can economics help you get married? Imagine all the people in this room had to leave with a partner for life, and that may be their existing partner, or it could be someone different. <laughs> Bear with me. Um, what would be the most efficient way to determine matches such that the aggregate lifetime happiness of everyone was maximised? So if that sounds a little abstract, I'll tell you a story that Roth tells his economics class. It comes from the Talmud. A Roman matron asks the rabbi what God has been doing since creation, to which he responds, matching up couples. The matron scoffs and says that the matching task is trivial, and she sets out to prove it. The matron calls up a 1,000 men slaves and a 1,000 women slaves and puts them in two rows, sending each couple away for one night. They return in the morning, and every couple begs to be unhitched. The application of economics to this problem. Can we design a system to pair up a 1,000 slave couples so that overall they're all a little happier or at least won't be worse off? Well, I don't have, I can't call up slaves, but I do have you guys. Um, so that's who I'll use to demonstrate the functioning of matching markets. Um, so there must be a better way than random allocation of matches because it's impossible to guarantee that anyone will be satisfied. There's all, there, there also must be a better way than by, giving, by, by immediate acceptance, by giving people their first choice. In this case, as many people as possible get their first choice, but if you don't get your first choice, you have a worse chance of getting your second or third choice. So there's a disincentive for anyone to reveal their true first preference. For example, if my first choice is my current girlfriend, Tara, but her first choice is someone else, I might wonder, would I have been better off going for my second choice, say, for example, Preethi, first? <laughs> now, Preethi, if Preethi is taken, I'm left to pursue my third or fourth choice, or worse. <laughs> um, de deferred acceptance, which is the preferred model for allocation which Roth developed, makes it safe to reveal your true first preference. Because if you fail to get your first choice, you have just as much chance of getting your second choice as if you had made it first. Here's how it works. Every guy gets a list of all the women in the room, ranks them according to ideal life compatibility, and submits, submits them to Sonny, who's the bartender who won't be leaving this room happy. Um, for simplicity, I'm going to limit the implications of this example to me, my girlfriend Tara, my friend Preethi, and Erin. The bartender informs women which guys pick them as their first preference. Of these offers, each woman will tentatively accept their preferred offer and reject the others. This is the first round. In subsequent rounds, they're able to tentatively accept offers that leave them better off. So, in this particular hypothetical, let's imagine Tara receives a number of first round offers 
but accepts my offer tentatively. Great. In, <laughs> in the second round, Tara now receives Aaron's offer, as his offer was not accepted by his first preference in the first round. Bummer. Um, she now rejects my offer in favour of Aaron's because Aaron is her first preference. That is the second round. Aaron's second preference was Tara, and seeing as his first preference was rejected, so someone somewhere out there is Aaron's first preference, um, he can do no better. Aaron, Aaron was always Tara's first preference, so she can do no better. This is a stable match. Now that I don't have a girlfriend, I'm back on, I'm back on the market, and Sunny informs Preeti that she is my second preference. While Preeti would have preferred a match with Aaron, Aaron's a popular guy in this hypothetical, um, because she did not receive an offer from him, she is left to accept an offer from her second preference, me. Even though Tara was my first preference and Aaron was Preeti's first preference, this is a stable match because neither, um, neither of us can do any better. This, this example stops after three rounds, but in theory continues until stable allocations for everyone in the room are achieved. The system works if, if participants have faith that they will end up with the best outcome that they could have hoped for. Deferred acceptance makes it safe for me to state my preference for Tara rather than go for Preeti first, even if I do end up with Preeti. Um, and, it, and it prevents the risk of avoiding missing out on a decent match entirely. The point is, it's safe to reveal true preferences. A couple of caveats with this example. Same-sex marriage is not possible, but we're in Australia, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> women's agency is limited. Um, they can't make proposals. Um, and the preference for single life by any of the participants um, isn't modelled. Uh, so this model of allocation is analog analogous to the decision by medical students to choose hospitals and by hospitals to choose medical students. Um, I, don't, I don't have time to talk about this to that matching market. I can tell you about it after. But um, kidney exchanges are, are more exciting anyway, so I'll move on to those. Um, so a kidney exchange is just another variation on a matching market. Um, we know that matching markets exist when both sides depend on each other to maximise utility. The problem in the market for kidneys, leaving aside for the moment any moral questions about selling or buying kidneys, is that there are many incompatible donor-recipient pairs. There are long waiting lists because blood type and immune factors prevent more matches. However, it is possible to pair one incompatible donor-recipient pair with another incompatible donor donor-recipient pair and facilitate an exchange. I'll use the example from earlier. Aaron is now married to Tara and I'm now married to Preeti. Aaron and I both have bad kidneys and both our par partners are prepared to donate one of their kidneys. But Tara isn't compatible with Aaron and Preeti isn't compatible with me. Tara has a kidney that is compatible for me and Preeti has a kidney that is compatible for Aaron. This exchange requires four simultaneous surgeries to prevent reneging, but Aaron and I will both end up with healthy kidneys. Imagine, and this is Roth's innovation, an algorithm that can match more than two incompatible donor-recipient pairs so that Tara donates to me, 
Preeti donates to someone else, a stranger, um, whose partner then donates to Erin. So that's three incompatible donor-recipient donor pairs, but potentially the chain can extend um, to include dozens and dozens of independently incompatible donor-recipient pairs. So Ross algorithm enables transplantations that otherwise would not have been possible through a kidney exchange. The function of the exchange is equivalent to Sunny's role in the marriage example. Um, the exchange brings a system to sharing information about all possible donors and recipients. Essentially, it uses mass to maximize the number of transplants. The exchange also allows for altruistic donors to start what are known as non-simultaneous chains. These can theoretically go on forever. And this is when someone whose partner, who, who doesn't necessarily have a partner who needs a kidney, decides to make a donation. Um, these types of chains avoid the logistical issues with simultaneous surgery, but increase the risk that the chain will be broken by someone backing out or because of medical complications along the way. The algorithm has one snag. If doctors encouraged all patients or donors and donors to participate in the exchange program, the quality and number of, ma of matches would improve. But because doctors can still make paired matches, like the one I described between Aaron, Tara, myself, and Preeti earlier, they can make paired matches outside the exchange, there's an incentive for them to send only the trickiest to match recipients and donors to the exchange, rather than the ones that will yield the most transplants. So that's the object of Roth's current work, um, is trying to refine the al algorithm to protect against that perverse incentive. So in conclusion, um, economics is, commonly economics is like the economics that the average punter is exposed to is where consensus is weak and experts sound more like politicians but with fancy maths. As a friend of mine described to me recently, Economists are people who tell you tomorrow why what you predicted yesterday didn't happen today. It takes a long time to really understand the true incentives in a market and the true motives of individuals before it's possible to apply abstract models. But that's what economists like Alvin Roth have shown us it's possible to do. Thanks.